Wow, we're live. Are we live? Can you confirm that we're live? Comment section, chat. Hello, everybody. Welcome in. Tuesday, 12.02 p.m. Central. The year is 2022. I don't know. I'm so bad at these. Welcome in. We have a very special guest today. Uh, we're going to have a really good time talking with uh, probably one of the greatest mustaches that has ever walked the face of the earth. And uh, please be prepared for some hardcore battery nerd out. All right. If you're familiar with the Tesla community, you already know this person very, very well. If you're not familiar with the Tesla community, welcome in. We have a very fascinating, very in-depth discussion coming on. But first, I'd like to introduce our community forum members who are going to be part of the panel. These are folks that supported the channel through the Patreon or YouTube. And I always appreciate their support and everyone's support. And of course, these folks you probably already know if you're part of the Tesla community. We have Rodman. We've hey, got Ishan. We've got Hans. Welcome in, everybody. And our very, very special guest, the one and only Mr. Jordan Gisicki. How's it going, my friend? Good to see you, brother. How you been? Yeah, good to see you too. Hell yeah, man. Jordan and I had a one-on-one uh, -on -one conversation. Uh, one of my, I think one of my early interviews, uh, Jordan and I sat down and we were scheduled to go for an hour. And then we ended up going for almost two. And then we uh, met in person at TeslaCon. And dude, it was, it was so much fun hanging with you, dude. It was such a good time. You're one of the coolest people I've ever met. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming back on, man. I'm really excited to uh, have you on with the panel. It's gonna be great. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, you, you said it was going to be cringe, and uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe blush. <laughs> good. That's always my goal so, with these introductions. No, that, yeah. that was really good. I, I really enjoyed uh, like that first discussion we had. It, yeah, as you said, it was planned for about an hour, and we went mm. for uh, blew right through two hours, and we could have kept going. And then at uh, Texas as well. Uh, yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed the conversations that we had. Yeah, man, me too. It was it was really cool. I also got to meet your brother, and uh, yeah, it was it was such a good time. It's uh, um, actually you bring you come up in conversation uh, with my wife and I sometimes. Like, remember remember how cool Jordan and his brother were? We're like, yo, shit, yeah, man. I, I hope they come back to Austin, so we're gonna have them at the house. So yeah, man, it, it was super fun, super super fun. Yeah, we um, gotta get we gotta get everybody together again. I'm looking forward to uh, whenever they have the next uh, big event down in Texas. Yeah. Um, yeah, just get everybody to hang. It was so cool hanging out with the whole Tesla community there uh, during those days. Yeah, it was a really special week, really, really special week. Um, all right, so we'll get this thing kicked off. We're going to try this thing with a larger panel where I've asked the, uh, the panel to uh, try and mute in between not speaking to try and see if we can uh, get the conversation to be um, as, as, I guess, as directional as possible. But at the same time, I don't want to uh, disrupt the flow. So uh, this could turn into a shit show and it's going to be fun. Who cares? We're going to have a good time. All right. So Hans, let's go ahead and have you go uh, first with the first topic you'd like to propose. And again, just to remind the panel and everybody that's watching, this is going to be a, just a conversation. We're going to have a good time. Uh, Jordan is obviously a battery expert, but I want uh, folks to be uh, free to share their thoughts about different topics. And in the comment section as well, I'll be reading. If you want to add your two cents to the conversation, please be uh, feel free to do so. So Hans, go for it, my friend. Yeah, so just to tee this up, you know, I think uh, we all learned in the interviews that you were doing with Bradford here recently that... Uh, some of the content that you have created has actually made its way all the way into the deep recesses of Washington and potentially even influenced some policy coming out of the White House. And so, yeah, just tell us the story, like, how did you come to find out about this? And then what's the extent 
of your understanding of how much of your content has played a part in the crafting of the IRA? Okay, so the way, uh, first of all, I thought it was hilarious <laughs> that there's like, there's so much content that's produced by the Department of Energy and all these uh, research institutions, but um, they went to my channel to uh, get some insights into the battery supply chain because it's so condensed. If you want, if you've ever read a government report before, you'll read a hundred pages and you might get like a paragraph of information that's really salient and, and useful. Um, they do do a good job of going, do do a good job of going deep, but as far as uh, uh, really picking out what's important and synthesizing what's going across the entire industry, it's it's often not the best. Um, now, in terms of how I found out about it, I was having a debate on Twitter about something else, and then after I got finished uh, with the debate with the guy I was talking to, he said, "Hey, you know that you know uh, the people uh, I was working with, we were watching your videos." Uh, when we were, you know, helping craft the policy for the Inflation Reduction Act. And this is from like the Rocky Mountain Institute. So when Washington writes a bill, my understanding at least, is they pull in a lot of, you know, not nonprofits, interested groups, et cetera, to help craft the policy. And so the Rocky Mountain Institute was one of these groups of people is my understanding. Now, I didn't go deeper than that to determine exactly um what I influenced, but I think it was uh, part of it was to do with the metals and uh, the chemical forms of those metals uh, that are included in the Inflation Reduction Act. So, yeah, that's uh, that's about uh, the extent of my knowledge on it. Were you surprised? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as, as I said, I thought it was uh, um, funny, hilarious. I, I know there's other YouTube channels in the Tesla space that have been referenced in government documents. So they're, they're watching what we're doing and saying in the Tesla community. There's a lot of people out there. And I had a clue that something like this might be happening because I had people from like uh, on LinkedIn and uh, on Twitter, people from like really high level people in the state department and et cetera, that were starting to follow me on uh, social media. It's like, why are these people <laughs> following me on social media? Oh, it's because, you know, some of the stuff that I'm, I'm saying is, um, entering the right ears and uh, having an influence on the discussion that they're having. Do you have any idea how they found your channel? No, but that um, uh, there's a, a few videos that I did on the material supply chain and I saw them getting shared around on uh, LinkedIn. And yeah, it's just uh, people in the space. Uh, you know, once it gets to the, the right ears, like the CEO of like a materials company or something, they share it around to their contacts, etc. So, uh, what do you think the likelihood is that Shirley Mung actually kind of seeded that into those circles? Well, she's posted some of what I did on LinkedIn, and there's you know it's get hundreds of likes, and she's she works for Argonne National Laboratory, and I know when she goes to conferences and stuff, she's told people to you know somebody would reference an article from the New York Times, and she'd be like, "No, <laughs> go watch the limiting factor." <laughs> so, That's awesome. yeah. yeah. How many people do you think uh, in the government or related circles are actually part of the community? I mean, there've got to be some. Uh, there's quite a few. I know there's a lot of people in the oil and gas industry that are really passionate about Tesla, but they're not that public about it because it's not probably 
uh, it's probably a career limiting move. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so instead of the limiting factors, like the limiting belief or whatever in this case, right? That was a mm. terrible joke. I'll, I'll yeah. sit myself out here. Um, how do you, so so based on the actual, um, the crafting of the bill, I don't know how deep you've gotten into sort of reading through it and seeing what it does. What what do you think of the bill itself? Like, what are your thoughts around it? In terms of its, uh, it probably shouldn't be called the Inflation Reduction Act. It should be something to do like the climate bill or something like that. And Bradford Ferguson, he's done a good job of explaining it's more of a, like a Green New Deal light or something like that, where um, it's, uh, as as far as I can tell, and what I've heard, and like the mining community and stuff, it goes a lot farther than any other legislation that's been passed in other parts of the world to uh, encourage people to come to the U.S. and to build um, uh, cell manufacturing and production here in the U.S. And if all of our assumptions about that bill uh, or those provisions are correct, then there's going to be a massive influx of battery manufacturing, uh, refining talent, et cetera, that comes to us. And as you know, as we saw with China, um, scale begets scale. So if we can start bu building some scale here, you're going to have more people come to be part of that, which is going to draw other people in and it's going to act like a flywheel. So I think that's probably the most important aspect of it is that it, it could act as a flywheel to really get things moving on raw materials and batteries in the U S. Okay. And on the, so, uh, from the Tesla side, from an investor side, if all of this is correct and all these tax credits are correct, my <laughs> God, Tesla's just going to be creaming it. The amount of uh, additional margins and profit that they're going to be getting from this because it's uh, it involves the entire supply chain. And Tesla plans on getting involved in the entire supply chain so they can, like, one way I view it is that, you know, if they get a $45 tax credit on the batteries, um, and we're, you know, this is supposed to last until 2030. Tesla's batteries are probably only going to cost like 50 to $60 per kilowatt hour at the pack level by 2030. And even that might be uh, overshooting it. So Tesla might be getting its batteries for free that it puts in its vehicles um, by the time 2030 rolls around, which is the most expensive part of an electric vehicle. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. So this is a tangent, but um, just wanted to pick on... Uh, from an outsider's point of view, uh, the whole nomenclature of uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, right? Uh, should we be giving the Biden government just a little bit of credit? Because everything that uh, this act is trying to bring in, you know, uh, more manufacturing to the U.S., <coughs> more mining to the U.S., so raw materials, more jobs, um, uh, less oil use, so uh, potentially more oil exports, um, then uh, cheaper energy. Uh, so a lot of these things in the long term, perhaps will reduce the cost of living for an average American. And therefore will, you know, will reduce the impact of inflation. So should we give just, you know, teeny bit bit of credit? <laughs> well, as uh, for me as a Tesla investor and I'm super happy about it. This is just bonus because I think Tesla would be doing a lot of this stuff anyways. In terms of uh, its long-term impacts, uh, I don't know what the cost benefit looks like there, but I'm assuming over, you know, maybe the next, you know, five, six, seven years, the cost benefit may be uh, flat. But if you look out, you know, 
uh, 30 or 40 years, it could have a really positive impact, um, um, pay long-term term dividends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way the way I think about it is, I think, you know, the the overarching sort of goal of this bill, at least my takeaway of it, is it does seem like it's a renaissance of manufacturing in some sort of some sort in the United States. And you think about what is the next generation of manufacturing going to be in the next uh, five, 10 years that's going to really ramp up electric vehicles, renewable energy, batteries, right? So these are like, this is where a lot of the bulk of the manufacturer is going to probably reside in the coming years. And then you can also layer in robotics and things like that. And of course, a lot of AI, but that's more like software. It's not really like hardcore uh, manufacturing. So from that uh, perspective, it's, it's great. And the fact that it's almost like, the way I view it, it's almost like Tesla has um, really invested so much time in the last 15 to 20 years to become this fully integrated, fully vertical company that is based in the States that's going to be hardcore about engineering and making stuff that when the government decided to actually throw some incentives behind it and to try and be a little bit more forward thinking about how to spur this in the entire economy, Tesla is like, well, fuck, I've been doing this for 20 years. Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll go ride the bandwagon. So it's almost like I view it as 20 years of work that was put in by Tesla that is now they can actually have their jet fuel <laughs> to just have this go for another 100 years, right? And there is governmental support in some respects to make it happen. Now, Jordan's point of like, uh, you know, the cost benefit impacts and things like that, like how do we think about like the long-term impact of this? There's a lot of things that can be talked about. I saw there was a um, uh -huh. somebody in the comments said, no credit to Biden, this will make inflation worse. I could see how that argument could be made as well. But I, I think what's, I, in the end, what, what gets me the most hyped about this whole thing is that it does seem like manufacturing is becoming a huge focus in the States with or without the help of the government. And Tesla so happens to be one of those very few companies in the last 15, 20 years that decided to invest in the future of manufacturing. That's what's really cool about that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if anybody has any thoughts about that, but that's sort of what gets me excited about the future. Yeah, I think not just the future of manufacturing, but in so many areas, it's a vindication of Elon's foresight yeah. and decision-making that he saw that all of these things were going to be important much further in advance than anyone else did. And so he's been working on these problems for such a long time that of course, you know, no one else made the bold moves that he made. No one else was trying to build a gigafactory in 2014 um, that matched the entire world cell output at the time. And that was just, you know, one example. And so now we can see that even at a governmental level, there's a recognition that what he has been saying for all these years and what he's been doing, putting his money where his mouth is, was actually the right call all along. And now, hey, more people, we need more people to do exactly what he's been doing. And so now we're going to start handing out subsidies. But because this is a fair country, we can't exclude Tesla from the subsidies that we're trying to put in the system to get more people to do what Tesla's yeah. already doing. And you know, it's going to be a network effect type of a thing that Tesla's so far down the road, they're moving so quickly that they will end up reaping the lion's share of all of those incentives and subsidies just because they've got scale where no one else, you know, everyone else is just getting started and then is going to move slower. Tesla's got a huge head start. And I mean, this is one of Steve Mark Ryan's thing. Like, it's like Usain Bolt, like, He's way out ahead and he's only accelerating and everyone else is still like just getting started. Yeah.
Well said. Well, I think Tesla put themselves, uh, as Hans was saying, uh, they, you know, they looked at things from like a first principles perspective and uh, how can we set things up to give us the best chance of survival in the future? And so uh, so we can reduce future bottlenecks. And you see that's in a lot of Tesla's engineering. They do something and it proves to be the best decision 10 years down the road. Well, what's happening at the same time is, you know, Tesla's done everything right. But at the same time, there's this entire shift in the global markets where everybody's going, all right, we need to build resilience in our supply chain and we need to focus on um, you know, climate change and things like that. So Tesla's done everything right. And then you have this other layer on top of that. That's just, you know, uh, throwing gasoline on the fire for Tesla. Does that make sense? Does that, uh, yeah, it seems like there's more than one thing going on there. Tesla's just benefiting from the current political climate and circumstances. Yeah. I mean, just to wrap all this up, like, so if, if we're thinking about the government going make this bill you know it's it seems like you could there's two ways you could like kind of think of it there's like one where it's like okay they want to incentivize certain things but they don't want to help tesla or there's another idea it's like okay we just need to get the right things and incentivize the right things and like if you're trying to decide between which of those two things happen it it definitely seems like if they're if the government is going through and they're looking through uh, or, or it might not even be good. It might be, what was the Institute? The Rocky Mountain Institute, as you said. It's like they're going to look at these sources for the real information. And then they're figuring out, okay, here's what people are saying that we need to move our, gov- our, our, our country to. And how do we do that, right? And if you look at it from that basis, it's like, okay, it's pretty clear that they want to incentivize the right thing. I think the thing they didn't realize is like how well equipped Tesla is mm. to like capitalize on this way better than everyone else. And it's just like you guys said, it's like pace of innovation, it's their engineering expertise. It's like all these things that allow them to move faster and more nimbly to think from first principles, that's gonna make this like, uh, I mean, it's it's gonna be nutty, like how quickly Tesla can take advantage of all these things. And we're already seeing it, right? Because like, you know, just like diverting equipment, like like was discussed in a previous episode, it's like diverting equipment from Germany to the U.S. and like and and a, a blink of an eye, like in terms of the speed that business typically moves, like to to make those decisions quickly, rapidly, and like uh, like just very on the point, and like everything is going to be like that, and I just don't think people are prepared to. S- to see how fast Tesla can like monetize like, all the stuff. It's like it's like the Zev credits, you know, yeah. right now that that Tesla's had going on the zero emission vehicle credits, where uh, the analysts keep being surprised. Myself still, like, oh my god, how like they have they're making so much money from these Zev credits. We thought they were going to go away, and they're still making money. Well, that's why. Why is that? This because Tesla was a decade or so in front of what the transition was going to be for electric vehicles. And now they have this next generation of call it credits or whatever they are that are that Tesla's probably going to monopolize <laughs> as well around, you know, battery man. Well, m- maybe not to the extent of, of the Zev credits, because it does seem like battery makers and sort of the battery industry is a little bit more, um, I don't know, 
maybe not as uh, entrenched as auto manufacturers are. So maybe they can they can take advantage of the credits a little bit more. So that's that's going to be very fascinating to watch. And one of the things I'm curious about is, okay, is the government's going to start saying, wow, or like people are going to start saying, look at Tesla, they're whoring up all this taxpayer money. Like they're such a terrible company. And Tesla's going to be like, I've been doing this for 20 years. Like, what the hell do you want me to do? Like, this is what I'm doing. I'm really sorry, you know? Um, Jordan, for you, I'm curious as one of the things that has been that you've talked about and many others have talked about as well is just in the next 10 years, the bottlenecks around materials and the supply around the necessary um, materials that are going to be available for us to really transition the entire market to batteries and electric vehicles. Uh, th there are bottlenecks in multiple places. How does the sort of shift towards the U.S. manufacturing for batteries change the equation for you? And does it at all? Do you th Is it irrelevant within that picture? I'm curious to hear your thoughts around that. Well, I think all these um, organizations were moving as fast as possible because if you look at the the margins that some of these companies are getting right now for like refining, for instance, um, I think they're already moving as fast as possible. Um, what I really need or what I really want to see in terms of the acceleration of U.S. mining and refining is uh, reforming the legislation to make that go more quickly because it's just a mess. It takes like 10 years to get a mine going here in the U.S. Whereas in other countries, it, it's more like uh, two years. So uh, I don't know how that's going to play out. Now, I forecasted like a few years ago, I thought, um, I had assumption, I had an inkling that once the world started tilting towards EVs, et cetera, and they realized how many materials required, that we'd see something like we see with this uh, Inflation Reduction Act bill. But the thing that I was really hoping was the end state was uh, an improvement to, what's the word I'm looking for? Regulation. Yeah. Mining regulation. Mm -hmm. So uh, in terms of the split between mining and refining, I think the U.S. is well set up to do a lot of refining here. But it's uh, so Tesla can ship materials from all over the world and bring them into like Texas, for instance. And it sounds like they already plan on doing that with uh, it sounds like they're building a lithium hydroxide facility like on the coast of Texas so they can ship materials directly in. And um, but you know, we don't want to ship those materials around the world. We want to minimize that as much as possible. We, we want to get them from the U.S. And there's a, a lot of different ways to do that. They could do hard rock mining, but Tesla, uh, there is a potential for the, there for them to go a more unconventional route and tap into like uh, like brines or, um, you know, old uh, old oil refining fields, tapping into those and sucking the brine out there. And I think the regulatory hurdles would be less for those. Uh, because it's it wouldn't be as destructive environmentally. So I've gone about five different directions there. So hopefully that kind of yeah. answers your question. You're good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, follow up on that. Uh, we've talked about how uh, a lot of people, at least helping shape policy, have been sort of taking from this community or taking ideas from this community. Uh, why do we still not see like? a push towards easing mining regulations or making it easier uh, in the U.S. as part of uh, not just the IRA, but the bunch of acts that, you know, have come live. Obama at one point, he said, there's always things that you want to do in politics, but it's like a football game. You have to wait until the play opens up and then you run the ball. And I think that's a lot of what we see with things like this, whereas I've seen a lot of organizations trying to get mining reform done in the U.S., 
that they produce little PDFs and things like that with nice little graphics explaining exactly what needs to happen. But um, it doesn't happen until it's politically feasible or until they can, you know, insert it into a bill somewhere <laughs> and cover it up with something else. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I think there's a lot of people who do realize this needs to be done. But it's a matter of the way politics often operates is it's, you know, two or three steps behind what needs to happen. It eventually does happen, but later than it, it needed to. So uh, to me, I think there is people who understand it. It's a matter of, um, you know, finding an opening to make that happen. Well, wh whether that'll happen or not, I don't know. It's not like a fait accompli, but mm -hmm. there is people who see the need. Yeah, there was a, a great interview between John Miller from Cowan and uh, Howard Klein and Rodney Hooper on the Rockstock channel where he was talking about the fact that part of Mansion's uh, requirements in order to get the IRA through the door was that here coming up on the 30th of this month that he wanted to get some reform made to a lot of the NEPA regulations, which are the Environmental Protection Act, that make the permitting such a long process. Um, and so, like, currently... He, he was estimating that it takes about six years to get through NEPA just because the timelines are so long that they are open for public comment and then people can submit this and people can submit that. So they're trying to compress that down to about three years, which is a pretty significant acceleration. Um, and of course, Manchin's motivation for that is that he wants to be able to get more natural gas pipelines for West Virginia. So his, uh, you know, his specific motivations are probably more in support of the oil and gas industry, but really, I mean, in the long run, we've all recognized at this point in time that we're kind of in an energy crisis. And so we need more energy, whether that's natural gas uh, from the oil industry or from renewables. And so we need these projects all to be able to move forward much more quickly than they have been able to. And so I think, you know, I don't hold anything against Manchin for his motivation. I think that what he's doing will be a net positive really for energy period, uh, not just renewables or uh, oil and gas. Um, and so, yeah, they're tacking that on supposedly to the funding bill for the government that will come up on the 30th. And so, you know, we might see major improvement on the regulatory and permitting space. And, you know, that's only one part of, all the things that need to happen, but it's a, a major first step. And like Jordan said that, you know, they're not going to put that in the actual IRA and they didn't actually go as far in the IRA as to address anything specifically with mining. That's kind of like a hot button topic that they wanted to avoid for this thing that is really a climate bill. Like you don't want to say, Oh yeah, we're, we're really going to support mining in our special fancy schmancy climate bill. But, they are doing things. There are things in the works. Um, and so we'll see. I'm very, you know, that's something else to watch out for along with AI day. <laughs> yeah. I, and I do wonder too, like how much of this sort of um, build existing is going to become a catalyst for all these things to move much, much faster. Right. I mean, usually things are, things appear out of uh, things. You have to have a catalyst for something to happen. It's very rare that humans are proactive in their approach, you know, and uh, I think even this bill, you can make an argument that the reason why it even exists, you know, that, that the reason why they call it the Inflation Reduction Act, it's because they had to do something to try and bring a supply a chain locally, 
and they identified the battery and the EV transition as one of those next generations of uh, industry. And they're trying to, you know, uh, get ahead of it, you know, trying to nip it in the butt, mm -hmm. uh, per se. Yeah. Yeah. I always think back to the Tim Urban, wait, but why article that dove into Elon's thinking. And I can't remember if it was in the chef in his special sauce blog post, or if it was one of the other ones related to SpaceX or Tesla, but you know, he specifically called out that Elon knows that in order to get something done, you have to create an economic forcing function. And that's what he has done. Um, and the way that he did that with Tesla and the way that he's doing that with SpaceX are creating the massive catalyst for change across those entire industries. But this bill is also creating an economic forcing function that will do a lot of the things, you know, it's a lot of carrots, not very many sticks. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people who are going to have now vested interests and a lot of money to make if they can execute on a specific set of plans. And so, yeah, looking forward to seeing how it works out. I mean, the government's also not known for being able to predict the second and third order effects of their intended policies. So, you know, there's a lot of room for things to go poorly here as well. But, you know, we'll just kind of have to wait and see. So optimistic, Hans. Jesus, my goodness. Uh <laughs> By the way, people hate the way you breathe for some reason in the comments. I don't know what, what kind of feedback that is, but they don't want you to breathe anymore, FYI. Uh, Rodman, go ahead. <laughs> so, so this is really interesting. Um, we're talking about policy stuff. And like, like I'm, I think all four of us or five of us here are like basically engineers, right? We're coming from that background. And like Tesla and Elon have solved like sort of this whole like how to solve problems through and like find the bottleneck and like these are just more engineering problems the way I see it, like these policy problems, right? It's like, there's different people who want different things. And like, I think what could be really interesting is if, you know, like there's people applying these same principles, like how do we get this stuff through? How do we get this stuff through faster? Um, and it seems like some of it's happening, but like how much space is there for like disruption, like on this kind of like policy making and like execution of, 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 policy right uh, so i mean i think that's actually uh something that could be uh, an opportunity for tesla i don't know yeah and not not just with evs right i mean the <clears throat> ira actually has a lot of incentives for uh solar manufacturing for stored energy you know uh, uh battery storage etc so across pretty much all of tesla's lines of business as of today there's yeah. I mean, uh, with stored energy, it's almost what thirty <clears throat> percent. So you know that that pretty much directly falls to the bottom line. So yeah, yeah I mean, uh, at what point? Here's a question: How at what point does it become better or more useful for Tesla to divert batteries from uh, cars to potentially mm -hmm. uh, energy storage? What do you think, Jordan? Do you have any thoughts around that? That's an interesting well, question. Well, yeah, it is an interesting question because uh, generally what I try to look, everything Tesla does through the perspective of how do we accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy? So I think they, they've prioritized vehicles for a reason and they've explicitly stated that. Mm -hmm. Now, I've, I haven't done a lot of thinking as to exactly why that is, but I'm assuming it's because they think that 
uh, it's better to put those batteries in the vehicles to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. And it might have something to do with what uh, Hans and Rodman were talking about earlier about creating this forcing function. If everybody starts driving EVs, they go, oh shit, this is awesome. <laughs> Every, everybody should get EVs. This is like, why didn't we do this earlier? And as soon as people get EVs, that generates a need for energy storage, electricity. And then people, uh, politicians start driving these. And it's just, I think it creates second, third, fourth order effects throughout society, yeah. having people uh, in these EVs. And then any excess cells that you have, dump those into energy storage, which is what Tesla's doing. Yeah, uh, one of the uh, basis for this question was, you know, uh, what's happening in Europe today? A lot of uh, heating and electricity production in large European countries, Germany, and a few others, th that actually comes from uh, natural gas, whereas, uh, which of course uh, is Russian origin, whereas a lot of uh, petroleum products, uh, it comes from other sources, you know, be it Middle East, be, be it US, et cetera. So short term, do you think uh, deploying batteries as a resource uh, for energy generation and storage over uh, vehicles in, uh, you know, in a very atypical scenario like where Germany is today might make more sense? Well, I don't know what their, what their need is. I imagine the amount of... Uh, you know, battery and solar storage that Tesla can de deploy is, and this is my guess, it's a drop in the bucket compared to how much energy Europe actually needs. Um, so, you know, 40 gigawatts is just nothing when you're looking at like 20,000 terawatts um, yeah. on a global scale. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's something I'd have to look into and crunch some numbers on. Actually, in parallel with this, there was a comment, and I do see a couple of super chats, y'all. Thank you very much. I'll get to those here once the um, once the conversation sort of shifts towards that direction. I do want to make sure the flow. I'm prioritizing the flow of the conversation, but I really appreciate everyone's uh, super chats here. Um, on top of Farzad's comments, and this was sort of uh, uh, posted a, a few minutes ago, but we were sort of talking about the the surplus of batteries that are starting to exist, and this is from Digital uh, Blade Ka. California, I guess. Digital Blake, California. A uh, long time supporter of the channel. Thank you. On top of Farzad's comments, can Jordan speak to Martin Vieca's comments that they are no longer res resource constrained, including batteries? You know, so this is like, this is an interesting moment in time now where potentially sort of what Ishan is describing now, where, you know, it could make sense for us to go away from EV, well, like really start prioritizing energy storage because of the different forcing functions that are existing around this bill. And the fact that Martin comes out and says, hey, guess what? We don't have any more problems now. Uh, your thoughts, Jordan, and maybe we'll turn this into a topic of discussion as well. Oh, that was a little party time for me when I heard Martin, okay. Martin say <laughs> that. Like, yes, because <laughs> this is something I would was hoping would happen. I, like, I was like, all right, if Tesla can leverage the battery supplies of enough suppliers, for the, so for the next few years, even if they don't get their own in-house battery cell manufacturing rolling, which I'm not saying that won't happen, but uh, they sh if they can put them in a position where they can grow 50% a year just with outside cell supply, or even get beyond that in the next year or two, because that is possible, then um, yeah, that's, uh, it's going to mean that Tesla can grow their vehicle business as quickly as they want to, as well as start investing a lot more into the energy storage business. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Anybody else have any thoughts around it? Oh, go ahead, Jordan. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I don't know if that answered the question. It disappeared from the bottom of the screen. Sometimes I, you oh, know, yeah. I get caught up in something. I go off in a direction. And No, I'm pretty sure you got it. Yeah. Just uh, your thoughts around Martin's comments. Yeah. 
Oh, and resources okay. constraints. So it's important yeah. to note that this is just probably over the next, um, this is short term. So this is probably the next year or two. I'm thinking that Tesla has enough battery supply uh, uh, to meet all their needs until 2024, 2025. And if th the next few years are critically important for Tesla, because if they can grow at 50% or greater for the next few years, that gets them really deep into that S-curve. And then for the rest of the decade, they only need to grow at about 30% per year. So it's if there's a time when uh, it was most important for Tesla to get that massive supply of battery cells, it's right now. Mm. That's great. Go ahead, Hans. Yeah, so what do you see as being, at, in your mind at this point, the most likely bottleneck to that battery supply in that ramp up? Is it going to be mining the raw materials? Is it going to be refining uh, which specific materials maybe give you the most concern? Is it still lithium or um, does it seem like some other things are popping up? What, you know, I know there's a lot of variation that's potential in all of that, but yeah, what's your current thoughts on, on that roadmap? Well, as you're hinting to there, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. Like when you have a supply chain, there's, you know, there's always little bottlenecks that are forming and uh, you address those as they come up, but you try to smooth that as much as possible. And so I think uh, it, well, we, we have to kind of narrow the discussion a little bit to Tesla specifically because there's the broader uh, uh, battery industry and then there's Tesla itself. So what we don't know, and this determines the whole course of this conversation, is what agreements Tesla signing behind closed doors to access those raw materials and how quickly they can open mines. And that will be dependent uh, like on jurisdiction. Like if a lot of these mines are in like, um, Australia or Canada, and it takes two years to, uh, to permit or to like, for instance, expand a mine, uh, then Tesla may have all the raw materials they need as they've suggested for quite some time. And if that's the case, then their focus would be on refining just as they've said. Now, deeper into the future, the uh, volume of material that they're going to require, I think is going to shift the focus from refining to mining. And it's what we've seen Tesla constantly do. They went from vehicles to, you know, partially bringing cell production in-house to bringing cell production in-house. Now they're moving on to cathode production, lithium hydroxide production, and they've expanded their um, severe of influence as they've needed to. So I think uh, from that perspective, it makes sense in the long term that, you know, they may need to get into mining. They don't want to, but they may need to. So Short-term refining, longer-term mining. But longer-term, we're talking, you know, past like 2025, 2026. Mm. And then along along these lines, actually, there's a comment that was dropped, Super Chat, that was along the lines we're talking about. Thank you. Again, thank you, everybody, that's dropped Super Chats. I want to make sure that it fits within the this, uh, flow of the conversation. Joel, thank you very much. By the way, we're making a beer fund for Jordan. So if you do drop uh, dollars down, this is when Jordan comes back to Austin. I'm just going to get him trashed with the money you got me, okay? Uh, you're giving me. So uh, what chemistries will supplement Tesla's needs over the next 10 years other than 811, NMC, and uh, lithium iron uh, polonium, I guess, right? Um, do you have any thoughts around that, <laughs> Joel? Well, first, shout out to All Joel. Right. Uh, I'm familiar with Joel. Um, okay. I, I've interacted with him quite a bit on Twitter, and he's been supporting the channel for quite some time. So um, let's see here. Well, Tesla, we're assuming that they're going to move to like uh, a cobalt-free chemistry because uh, Panasonic, for instance, Panasonic has cobalt-free high nickel chemistries 
in their roadmap, and they plan on deploying that in the next few years. Uh, from the, in the, the information that they've given, they now have a cobalt-free high nickel chemistry that's just as stable and has just as long cycle life as like in uh, 811 MC and MC chemistry. So I think over the next few years, we're going to see Tesla and everybody else, the more advanced manufacturers, uh, starting to uh, move towards high nickel chemistries. Um, now, in terms of the lithium iron phosphate, I do expect lithium iron manganese phos phosphate to become more dominant. Now, I don't know exactly what form that's going to take because, you know, it could be like a pure LFMP, lithium iron manganese phosphate, or it could be a mix of things because one of the, we're getting kind of into the weeds here now. One of the things with uh, lithium or LFMP is that my understanding is it kind of has like a plateaued voltage profile where it like uh, flattens out in certain areas. And when you're trying to manage the state of charge for a battery, that makes things more complex. And then uh, LFMP also has some, you know, degradation issues, some dissolution issues. So what a lot of companies are doing is they're playing around with mixing LFMP along with like an NMC chemistry or high nickel chemistry to uh, smooth out that voltage profile and also uh, increase energy density and increase stability. So uh, it's like a hybrid cathode, basically. And uh, I think, like for instance, Maxwell was experimenting with that almost like ten years ago. So I, um, yeah, I think high nickel cobalt free is the next to mature, along with uh, LFMP. I mean, there's a lot of manufacturers already producing LFMP. Now that'll carry us through the next few years before we see any other major innovations from my perspective. And in fact, I think the, just those chemistries alone are enough to get us most of the way through transitioning the world to sustainable energy. And then longer term, I think sodium ions are going to play a big role if they can solve all the problems related to sodium ion. And it looks like they're pretty much solved now. It's just a matter of qualifying and convincing the market that uh, it's a, a viable route. Got it. Any, anyone on the panel wants to piggyback on that Rodman? Yeah, I was just thinking about like, there's a lot of talk about lithium versus sodium, lithium being the smaller ion, like what do you see as the advantages of, or, or what are, the, what is the sodium side saying is their advantage to, to this whole approach or different chemistry, I guess. From my perspective, it's it's scalability because sodium is uh, so much easier to access. And I think the U.S. has ridiculous, I think, the, the biggest reserves yeah. of sodium in the world by uh, orders of magnitude. Of course. Yeah. And then, that's the prime thing. Yeah. Now, people also point to, like, the fast charge capabilities of sodium ion. It's like, well, lithium ion is constantly improving in terms of fast charge, and it's not necessarily the chemistry itself that's limiting the fast chargeability of batteries. A lot of it's to do with like the supercharger network, uh, et cetera. So by the time I we can, by the time sodium ion gets rolling, I think fast charge will be solved for lithium ion batteries. So to me, it's not, you know, right now it seems like a viable argument, but you're comparing a cell chemistry that's on the market in cars at hundreds of gigawatt hours of scale versus something that's just coming out of the lab right now. And that's not a fair comparison. 
So, so, so my concern would still be okay. So you're you're dealing with lithium versus sodium, which has an inherent weight advantage, right? Because each lithium ion is going to be much lighter than a sodium. Well, there's there's a bit more to it than that because you have okay. to look at the entire structure of the cathode. Okay. Um, and if you look at the energy density of sodium ion cathodes, I think uh, in terms of energy density, they're comparable. Okay. Uh, because there's a lot of different factors there. You can't just focus on the specific atom itself. It's right. the entire structure around that. Now, uh, overall, there is a little bit less volumetric energy density with sodium ion batteries as a whole, but a lot okay. of that doesn't happen where you expect it to. Sodium ion batteries, instead of using like a copper and an aluminum uh, electrode foil, what they do is they use two aluminum uh, electrode foils. So what that does is, A, it makes a sodium ion battery cheaper. That's another reason why sodium ion battery is cheaper. But what it also does is aluminum is uh, those current collectors are usually uh, th thicker. So that actually reduce. that's one of the reasons why sodium ion batteries have lower volumetric energy density is because the, the electrodes are thicker and it, or the electrode foils are thicker and it has um, uh, the cathode itself is only one of the factors. So you have to look at the whole cell itself. Yeah, awesome. And Thanks. Hmm. So uh, with the sodium ions, uh, wouldn't the lattice structure then, uh, let's say per mole, be larger regardless of uh, the current collector? And uh, couldn't that potentially lead to more cracking? I mean, I know it's... Y'all are a bunch of nerds, man. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. Yeah. You're pushing the, the limits of my knowledge. But the, the thing is, is like, uh, I guess I would have to sit down, and I haven't done this yet, and... Uh, just focus on that in terms of volumetric energy density, because volumetric energy density isn't just to do with the crystal structure. It's how you design the cathode at the particle level. For instance, there's what's called uh, packing density. It's yeah. like, all right, some powders pack better than other powders and create different porosity structures. So, and that's completely independent of, uh, whether sodium or lithium is used in the cathode. Oh, by the way, I love these questions because it's really stretching <laughs> me. <laughs> it's uh, things that I need to look into. But uh, yeah, um, packing density, uh, looking at the cathode crystal as a whole uh, rather than just from the atom, there's all these different variables, uh, all the other materials that go into the battery cell. And then here's another variable. Let's move on to the pack level. Uh, with a sodium ion battery, it improves the, like sodium ion batteries have, uh, they have the less apt to go into thermal runaway. So you can actually increase your packing density at the pack mm -hmm. level and make up for some of the, that poor volumetric energy density at the cell level. So it's just when you switch to a different ion, to a different chemistry, it changes everything from the atomic level on up to the pack level and even the battery management system. Uh, I'm getting, yeah, do you think, go ahead. Do you think that that expands the actual operating uh, range temperature window that the sodium ion batteries can work within? That's that's supposedly one of the selling points that it supposedly has better cold weather performance and uh, is more stable at higher temperatures. Ooh. Yeah, but once again, we're comparing something that's just coming onto the market with something that's already on the market, and lithium ion may. They've already found ways around a lot of that stuff for lithium ion. Um, and, you know, so we really have to compare these two chemistries and, and what they're going to look like in about eight to 10 years. And I think at that point, uh, sodium ion is going to be uh, 
commercially, it's going to be very viable and worthwhile to pursue at that point, because I think it's going to have as many benefits as lithium ion, but fewer drawbacks. But lithium ion, I think, is still going to be used in a lot of super high energy density applications, like semi, cyber truck, things like that. So I think lithium is going to continue to have an energy density advantage. So for me, it all comes down to scale. Once again, uh, we're going to have different battery cell chemistries and they're going to be used for specific use cases. So a tangent here, uh, mm -hmm. we've spoken about Tesla and we sort of have a bit of an understanding, but what about other manufacturers, uh, beat the Chinese ones, you know, BYD, um, Koreans, uh, Hyundai, Kia, and well, also Ford and GM, uh, Volkswagen, etc. Where are they getting their batteries over the next five to seven years? What are the chemistries that they? I guess beggars can't be choosers. So you know what chemistries will they have access to, and what kind of you know cost points? It's hard to predict. I know, but you know, uh, what is the scene gonna look like for them? For Chinese companies, it looks good. Uh, for most Western companies, it doesn't look very good. As like Drew Baglino, if everybody, everybody, everybody else has pointed out, yeah, you said you're going to build factories, but where are you going to get all the materials for those factories? And um, <clears throat> a lot of what you're relying on to produce those factories isn't set in stone. So real, we have to wait and see it plays out. But based on like what uh, JB Straubel is saying, uh, they're not in a good position because uh, it's like uh, the way he put it is the jet is overbooked. You have, you have like, uh, you know, double or triple the amount of people that are booked on this plane to get on the um, EV bandwagon, but only half of them are going to make it onto the jet. And I don't know who's going to make it onto the jet or not. VW was looking pretty good until they changed their CEO. I don't know how much he's going to change the direction of the company. Uh, Ford, I, I like what they're doing. They seem to be making some good moves in raw materials now and they've designed their vehicles well. Um, I'm just inherently not a fan of GM for um, understanding. Because you're a Ford reasons. guy, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what's happened so, politically. It's like, hmm. Um, and so with okay, the, what follow up on that. Yeah. What's that? Let me follow up on that. Uh, so uh, as Tesla sort of moves, I shouldn't call it away from certain chemistries, but yeah, potentially as it ramps down on certain uh, chemistries and ramps up on others, uh, for example, cobalt-based chemistries, right? Uh, inherently, the demand for cobalt should reduce given Tesla today is, you know, one of the biggest manufacturers and therefore the cost of cobalt should go down, which should give the, and I'm using cobalt as an example, right? Uh, but should apply to a lot of um, uh, different uh, metals as well. So, uh, you know, as the cost then goes down, potentially other manufacturers can pick it up uh, cheap. And it could play out for nickel. It could, I guess not for lithium, but uh, maybe who knows if, uh, you know, somebody picks up on sodium ion. So how, how do these uh, advancements to the cutting edge potentially impact the larger or broader market? I think Tesla's demand of cobalt will continue to go up as a whole, but the percentage amount going into their vehicles will reduce over time. 
So, and that's just a symptom of how fast the battery market is growing and how much raw materials Tesla needs. They're not just going to go, okay, we don't need that cobalt anymore. They're going to go, all right, how can we lo leverage that cobalt? And how can we get more cobalt that's uh, uh, ethically resourced? I, I don't have any issue with cobalt. I, I think there's uh, this stigma around it because of the way a lot of it's been um, resourced. But in terms of inherently, there's nothing wrong, wrong with cobalt. It's expensive, but it is a raw material that we can use in batteries. So we can get our hands on it. And if we can turn those into battery cells and make it a profit on it, then I'm all for it. And I think that's probably uh, the way Tesla is approaching it as well. So Tesla, um, just because they're changing chemistries doesn't mean it's going to reduce their demand for all these materials. It just means it's going to be a lower percentage of future growth, but the growth will continue in all those materials. That's yeah, my what I no, that's really helpful. What I think is very interesting about this whole dynamic, though, is that there's going to be there's already been this effect, sort of what you talked about, you know, JB's comments around, uh, you know, the boat. I forgot the analogy, but the boat's full, and it's and it's there's a bunch of people trying to get on. It's just not going to happen. Like there's just not enough. How much of that is going to be a forcing function for uh, prices of batteries in say the next five, ten years to actually go up? for a lot of these manufacturers because they're going to be, you know, it's supply and demand. There's way more demand than supply. And it doesn't matter how fast supply is being ramped up, the demand's going to outstrip it. So over time, battery prices could continue to go up. You know, maybe the inflation, sort of this near-term inflation that, that we've been experiencing because of COVID and supply chain is a precursor for what's to come in the next five, 10 years. How do you think about that? Like, I'm curious. I don't know if that really uh, is something you think about, but. Well, as the Tesla community has been doing for, well, since, you know, as, as long as I've been in the Tesla community, since it's been like, you know, 2015, as Tesla has all these positive, I, I don't know if I'm using the term correctly, but all these feedback loops that are of benefit to Tesla. And uh, that's continuing to work in Tesla's favor, whereas all the other auto manufacturers it's working the opposite direction. Tesla has better margins because they're a better manufacturer, because they sell directly to customers. And uh, there's all these reasons why Tesla can afford more for battery cells. And it works in the exact opposite direction for other auto manufacturers. So maybe I think I got off track there, but uh, no, you're fine. Cost, yeah. cost of the batteries going up over time. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so you're implying Tesla just has it figured out. Yeah, Tesla has it figured yeah. out and they're, they're going to continue to be more profitable. And whereas everybody else is, A, are they going to get the raw materials they need? B, are they going to be profitable when they actually stick those materials into vehicles? And I don't think they, that's going to be very difficult if they don't bring these things in-house. Because that's one of the only ways you can control cost in an, an inflationary environment is to bring this in-house. Yeah, my, my only addition to that is like, if you... Like you can't just think of it as the batteries, but the, you know, the battery is the critical component, but like if they can't figure out how to make the rest of the car efficient to make the most out of that battery, then like, it's just a waste of time. I mean, you just compare any, um, like even the Mach-E, one of the best selling secondaries to, to the Model Y, like it's not even close once you start comparing like the overall efficiency of the vehicle. And then that needs to go down to the battery and then you know, once you start throwing in these, uh, the IRA uh, incentives, like that's going to further reduce the cost. They're going to be cutting costs at like the pack level, at the battery level, at, 
you know, like if the 4680 plays out like it, it's supposed to, right? Is is that going to like further make the Model Y so much more profitable than it already is? And it seems like it should. Um, yeah. There's two things that I'm thinking. First off, as far as I'm aware, Tesla is only the only EV company in the world that is significantly profitable. BYD, even BYD is way behind Tesla and they have an enormous amount of vertical integration. So that that's one comment. And then the other thing is, is the Inflation Reduction Act bill enough to rescue legacy automakers? Yeah. And don't I don't think, think so. it is. Yeah. It, it, it might not? help some of them, but go ahead. Why not? Why, why don't you think it's enough? Because <clears throat> they already aren't profitable. And this is, you know, this is going to save. First, they have to be able to get these battery, produce these battery cells in-house if they want to take advantage of that credit. I think that the battery suppliers are still going to be selling these battery cells for a similar price as they were before, but they're just going to be making more profit yeah. off of them. So in so order to take advantage Panasonic of Panasonic and LG are really going to make, uh, you know, dope bucks. Uh, but again, uh, the IRA, right? Uh, and again, just an opinion, but uh, the benefit that somebody can take from an, uh, from IRA is directly proportional to the volumes, right? And uh, Tesla by far has the most uh, manufacturing volume in the US and is building it at, at the fastest rate. It's just the Usain Bolt example, right? So... And I also expect that the IRA, you know, these benefits will not last the length of time that um, is being pictured at this point in time. You know, two, three years down the line, they're going to uh, realize that, hey, oh shit, this is too expensive for us. And they're going to cut it short. Uh, so I would probably say that, you know, it's even if we say that the lion's share is going to Tesla, I think uh, is understating it. Uh, I think these um, incentives are going to go down or be removed or be changed into something else way before a lot of the legacy automakers can really benefit from. So, you know, they'll put in all the money, they'll put in the investments, but, the, you know, when the time to actually make money comes, I think these in incentives are going to go. That's an interesting Much point. Yeah. That's a super interesting point. It's like if Tesla like take so much advantage of it. People are going to be like, oh, it's going to the wrong people. And then how quick will it be before they're like, oh, we better change this. And then they're going to take all the money off the, I mean, all the, like the pie is going to go away. And then everyone's going to be like, oh, well, we just weren't fast enough. That's a super interesting point. Um, I kind of want to move on to something else. And Sorry, Rodman, is... I, I, okay, Jordan was like halfway through his thought right. there. So I want, to, I want to make sure he gets it out. Go ahead, Jordan. Okay, cool. Does Tesla have to take these credits? Because we know Elon in the past before has rejected things like this just because of the public perception and all the difficulties that it creates for Tesla. So I'm wondering from an accounting perspective and a tax perspective, if Tesla must take these credits. That, uh, but also, uh, see, if he was planning to not take uh, advantage of it, then, you know, we wouldn't be hearing of uh, you know equipment destined for Berlin going to uh, the US, we wouldn't be hearing about that internal memo. So I think that there is definitely uh, oh. some advantage that they're taking. Go ahead, Ronman. So so this kind of goes into what we were talking about with 
like we've been talking about the 4680 and i'm actually curious like with monroe and associates and your relationship with them i know you ordered a battery um whether you've received that and like after watching their teardowns and you know i think they revealed that they had um uh the the new cathode and anode uh on theirs. So I'm wondering if there's anything that you've seen on their channel that's kind of like opened up some or made you excited or um, was kind of a revelation. It looks the same as the battery cell uh, that I received so far, at least that's the information I have. Maybe I missed something. The interesting thing that Sandy said that I heard was that they're getting so much more power out of this battery cell. And that makes sense because the tabless electrode should reduce resistance. Less resistance means more power output. There's more variables than that, but uh, in terms of when I'm supposed to get the cell, I am in contact with uh, people at Monroe on a regular basis, and it was supposed to ship out last week. I haven't followed up on that, but I've ha I'm having it shipped directly to UC San Diego. I'm assuming it's going by ground, so it has to go all the way across the country, so hopefully they get that battery cell this week, and then um, I'm not... I don't know how long it's going to take them to do the characterization so we can get a, um, a more specific power output figure, energy density figure, resistance, et cetera, things like that. And then one thing I haven't mentioned to anybody else at this point is I'm actually talking to a couple universities who also got uh, 4680 battery cells. So I'm hoping to get like an array of information, not just the information from this one cell, but mechanical information, thermal information, all, all, of, all the little juicy bits and bit pieces. Wow. Um, what an exclusive take there, Jordan. Thank you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's it. But did yours have DBE on both anode and electrode? I thought just, theirs was different. Okay. Yeah. Just the anode. Did they say that they have a DBE on both the cathode and the anode? I thought they did, but I could totally be wrong. So, so <laughs> he's gonna up. go look it up. If anyway, they, I'm trying to pull my best that, Jamie impression from Joe Rogan. Hang on, go ahead, Jordan. No, yeah, it's uh, I'm sorry, I was talking over you. Yeah, um, I think I heard somebody suggest that at one point, but it wasn't necessarily something that Monroe said. But I could be wrong. Maybe Monroe said it, and I just missed it. A lot of times I blow through all these videos that I see on YouTube on new technologies, et cetera, at like 2X and I miss bits and pieces uh, sometimes because there's just so much to keep up on, which yeah. you guys are probably aware of that. Everything just going on with Tesla? My God. <laughs> Same. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I'm looking it up right now. I can't find anything. I mean, it's a little bit unless I go through the video. If anybody in the comments knows if uh, the 4680 that Sandy Monroe and this team received if you can confirm if both the anode and the cathode have uh, DBE, BDE, DBE, what is it? DBE, right? DBE, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. What does that stand for, Jordan? Dry battery electrode. Oh, duh. Look at me. It's um, just a coding process. A lot of people confuse yeah. like um, the cathode plant that Tesla is building down in Texas. They confuse that with DBE. That cathode plant is uh, building like cathode raw material that then gets coated onto the electrode foils. So it takes like, you know, lithium hydroxide, nickel, and it turns it into crystals. And then those crystals go to the coating machine. Okay. Uh, a couple of folks said that it's it's just the cathode, not the anode. Uh, Roger did say, I believe both DBE, but um, we did get two folks pretty uh, confidently saying, no, it's just a cathode. So um, 
Yeah. So, so the reason I this. thought that was, I thought there was like a roll that had like the copper and then there was a roll that had aluminum. Like, uh, let me see. So, so I linked the uh, video and the oh, okay. private chat. Go ahead and pull it up. Do we want to listen to the audio? Is there like a is there okay, a timestamp so, on there? So like at four minutes, there's a there's a roll that has like silver tabs on it. All right, let me go ahead and play it here real quick. Uh, if uh, if you can all mute to make sure we don't get echo because the system system's going to pass through the audio. Okay, uh, here we go. So you have a similar piece right here with the same type of laser welds. Let me flip it over in the exact same pattern. But what's interesting here is you have six little tabs and they're actually connected on the outside over here instead of coming from the center. So a slightly different design, but this is aluminum being welded to aluminum. This is copper being welded to copper and similar methodology and what's this in the center right here? So the reason we don't have that outside rim yeah, is still, still attached to the crimping is we have a small rivet that attaches. Go ahead, Rodman. Sorry. Yeah, yeah that's, that's like, like all, all the... the uh, sorry. sorry. No, you're good. We can hear you. Hey, I'm, I'm getting, getting double. double. Oh, sorry. Hold on. Okay, I just fixed it. Okay. Um, so that's all about the... Uh, cap so i'm not sure if they like if you just look there's like there's definitely two rolls and one is like copper and one's aluminum so i'm not sure if that helps like oh yeah well my cell of course you know battery cell has the cathode which which is uh coated to aluminum and anode uh which is coated to copper and but you can use different coating techniques to coat that on there so with the actually keep this up because we can talk about these uh um, current collectors that they're showing here and some of my theories on what's going on with them. Uh, so yeah, just because there's a copper and aluminum foil doesn't mean that, uh, doesn't give us any indication of which coating technique is used. Um, unless they said that. Um, now in terms of what we're seeing here, you notice that they pointed out that, uh, the, those little flower folds on these current collectors are formed in opposite directions. And what I think is going on here, and they, my guess is they're going to eliminate these at some point based on rumors from Cleaner Watt. And I think this is just kind of overbuilt first iteration of the cell, and they're going to be able to remove these. But I think the reason why they're shaped like this is, A, when they manufacture, primarily so when they manufacture these things, that there's a little bit of flex and hinging that that allows. When the, like, for instance, here, it's center punched. And then if you look at, like, the edge... Uh, the way that the, like that triangle is attached, the hinge point would be around the perimeter of the cell. So if you're punching something through the center of that cell, then uh, that allow, and it's welded in, that allows it to hinge. Does that make sense? Yeah, so. nods. <laughs> all right, cool. Yeah, so I think that's why they're designed the way they are. Now the other one is reverse. It kind of hinges, uh, those triangles are attached in the center and it, um, the terminal of the cell is around the inside. So it hinges from the inside of the cell to allow that crimping action to happen and allow that to kind of fold down and over. I think yeah, I need and 
Yeah. It well, it's important. So on the aluminum one, you can see that it has the most amount of ability to flex right there at the center and the aluminum one is connected to the top of the cell which is then welded to the little dime tab on the top and then at the bottom it has the most ability to flex at the edge which i'm assuming they're connecting to the outer edge at the bottom exactly you uh you articulated it better than i did that's exactly what i was saying cool um all right. Any anybody want to piggyback on that on this train that we're on right now? Go ahead, Ronnie. So just to go back to this. Okay, so if you go to like two minutes and twenty three seconds, he's showing a. I assume that flat black piece is DBE, right? Yeah, that's the coding. Okay, and that's DB. That would be DBE. So there's another one. There's another roll like that, a jelly roll. That's like made out of a different that that has like a different trim. So if you go to, let's say, it's worth noting from visual inspection, like just looking at a cathode that was or an electrode that was formed with a wet method or a dry method, they okay. look the same when you look at them. Oh, I see. Okay, that's what I didn't understand. Okay, yeah, there's no way to know. Microscope. Got it. Yeah, and even with a microscope, it's difficult to tell the difference. So uh, that's why we did uh, yeah, both. Uh, we did scanning electron microscope <laughs> imaging plus a chemical test to verify that it was DBE. And even then, it's not like 100%. That's like 99% sure to really get a feel for uh, whether it's DBE or not. You need uh, like a, what was it, some sort of spectroscopy to determine exactly what the binder is made of within that cathode material. So I'm hoping to get that with the cell from Monroe. Well, that helps. Great. So these are good we... there's, there's other people that have these questions. So I'm glad you're asking this stuff. So segue to uh, the anode here. Uh, you'd mentioned in one of your videos, in fact, quite a few of your videos that uh, DB on the anode would be simpler. Uh, compared to the cathode, but we see that you know Tesla is implementing this in production in the cathode first. Um, the reverse. Yeah, the reverse. It, they're putting oh, it on the, the anode first. The anode. Sorry, uh, my bad. Yes. So you you'd mentioned that uh, probably uh, doing it on the cathode is easier. Well, here's there's there's. I talked to some other battery scientists after I released that video and there's a good discussion about, all right, what's more important and then what's easier, what's harder. Cause those are the very different things. So from my perspective, it's more important to get that anode coating, um, uh, laid down because it's, uh, the anode thickness is, uh, it's harder to create a, a thick anode with a wet process because the materials start separating. It's usually like an aqueous based process and it starts separating. And that's why uh, NPower is talking about uh, coating both, doing two slightly different layers and keeping those from uh, separating. So the, uh, yeah, from my perspective, it's more important to have that thick anode and that way you can make both electrodes thicker. And you can also do that in one coating pass. But Tesla. So go ahead, go ahead, please. Yes, yeah, so I was going to say that Tesla is having, strangely, they're having more difficulty with the cathode than they are the anode. But everybody thought the anode would be 
more difficult because uh, the binder typically breaks down at around zero volts. So it was, it was a surprise to see that uh, they, you know, they solved the anode first. Uh, go ahead. You know, uh, to your point, could it also be that uh, anode being the limiting factor, pun intended? Hey. Um, <laughs> he said the thing. He said the thing. I was wondering how long it would take. One hour, 11 minutes, and 35 seconds in. You get a gold star. Well done. Right. Yeah, so, uh, like, if Tesla can't figure out the anode, then uh, this entire thing is not going to work. So let's just make sure that we've, we've got the anode nailed down. And then we can uh, do the cathode, which is relatively easy. Well, it's yes, the cathode is what they're having difficulty with at the moment, but it's not for the reasons no. that people expected. Uh, people thought there would be binder mm -hmm. issues with the cathode, but um, what Tesla said last year was that um, they had the cathode working at smaller volumes and smaller scales. But once they uh, increased the scale, all of a sudden these um, issues uh, showed up with the cathode and they're having issues with it. So. Um, that is a concern. Even like there's Nobel laureate, Stan Whittingham. He said, yeah, I'm confident they're going to solve it, but it, it may take them some time to solve the, the cathode issue. But the thing with this, everybody making comments about how Tesla's progressing with the dry battery electrode, I try to give the best analysis I can, my best assessment of the situation. But anybody who says they know what's going on in Tesla, well, nobody knows except for the people working there. All the rest of us are just shouting from the sidelines. So my perspective is, okay, technically this looks feasible. And let's say if they do run into issues, if they can't get it solved this year, what's their fallback plan? So that's the, the perspective I try to take. But uh, for a number of reasons, I'm confident they'll solve it, but it, it may take some time. There's an interesting comment here as we were discussing this. So King uh, Ghidorah said, best guess is all their issues are related to speed. How fast they want the lines to run at? What do you think about that? I think that's a fair point based on what Tesla's already said in the past. Like a little over a year ago, Tesla seemed confident that they pretty much had everything solved, but then they, you know, they increase scale, increase speed, and they run into more issues as they try to ramp it up. So I, I think it's a fair point. And I do hear rumors about what's going on in Tesla, but I try not to, to bring that into the conversation or let it cover color my, um, my viewpoints on things. So I, I have a pretty good feel, if the rumors are correct, what they're having difficulties with. But uh, yeah, I try to take an outside. I would just stop there. <laughs> yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll try, to, try to try to keep it an outside perspective. So. No, for sure. Yeah. And again, in the end, I mean, rumors are rumors, right? Like how I can't tell you how many times I, when I worked at the company, I would hear like, you know, I would hear rumors and I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, this is not even remotely close to what's happening, but sure, I'll let you run with it, you know, because I'm bound by NDA. So uh, it's interesting. What what's So for a non-technical person like myself, so here's where I feel extremely lucky that I have Jordan on the panel and three other engineering folks that are extremely bright and you guys are talking about all this super nerdy, super important stuff. And it's just community based. The way I'm ingesting this information as it like sort of like as a as a non-engineer, but has engineering background um, is that there's so many different pieces that go into a battery that make it scalable, efficient, powerful, 
uh, cost effective. It's not a one, it's like a thousand different things have to go into a battery for it to be the best battery. It's not just switch your cathode, switch your anode, switch, you know, switch the process, switch the, it's like, it's literally so many different things that go into this tiny little thing and this little tiny thing. And you could like, I almost view it as a, it is a system. It has to be a system. It's not just one thing. It's a system of things that goes into one thing that allows it to be as that allows it to be where it needs to be. Um, and that's one thing that I've learned through your channel and others is that regardless of how um, different technologies are presented or or attacked from different angles by different people, they're always like focusing on one thing. Like it's oh, we change the we change the chemistry of the, of the, of the thing, of the, of the cathode or the anode. We change one process, and then we have Tesla here. You know their battery day. We're changing seven things. You know we're <laughs> and by the way, we're also changing the structure where the batteries are going to go into to actually uh, benefit from how we designed the battery. So it's like it's really for me starting to truly click just how insanely fundamental this changes to the process of creating batteries for the future, you know? And if I take this within the context, if, if I can wrap it into a bow, because this whole thing started really the discussion around cost and we dove really deep into like these technical things, which is amazing, is that from a, from a cost perspective, Unless you do the level of research and the level of detail that we just went through uh, for the coming years, unless you're doing that work, you're going to be stuck in a position where you're going to be tapping a supply chain that is maxed out with a giant amount of demand around it. And unless you're moving forward in how you're going to make your battery cheaper to produce and more efficient, you are going to be stuck with higher costs. That's my takeaway from this conversation. And correct me if I'm wrong, but... If I'm going to take this last 15, 20 minutes, this is the conclusion I'm, I'm arriving at. Let me know if I'm thinking about this incorrectly, but this is my conclusion from the discussion we just had. Yeah, I think that's exactly correct. And then just add in the one additional factor there and that scale that when you are the 800 pound gorilla in the battery space, you also have not only you've done all that research and you've done all your due diligence because you had to, but now you have leverage in the entire supply chain that no one else has. Exactly. Exactly. Like you, you own the supply chain at this point. You know, there was a thing that that uh, came up as well. If I can just add a, a couple cents, since um, uh, I'm, I'm not technical, but I'm going to throw a couple of things in here that that's interesting around this topic. Um, like I'm going to use this as a precursor. Richard dropped this in the comments pre uh, previously this morning. News dropped where Ford came out and warned investors that, uh, that you know, they have supply chain issues and they're going to incur an additional billion dollars of costs from inflation and supply chain issues. Plus they have cars, 40 to 45,000 higher truck margin trucks that they can't sell because of supply chain issues, right? How much of this is a precursor to the next five, 10 years of manufacturing because of the battery shortages we're going, we're going to have? Like this to me sounds like just the beginning. Maybe it's not battery related right now, but this is the type of issues that that will arise from what we just talked about. If people are not at the forefront of these things, they're going to be stuck in this situation. You know, there's going to be suppliers out there that are going to try to be selling to everybody and they're going to be tapped out and the automakers are going to be sitting around incurring higher costs or not being able to finish their cars because the supplies aren't there, you know? Um, this is like a like a huge red flag 
for the for the industry to me that we're having this and then come quarter three, Tesla's probably going to show lower costs from Q2 to Q3, whereas these folks are going to show higher costs from Q2 to Q3. This is worrying to me. I don't know. I might be being a drama queen right now, but it's it yeah, just it feels I, like very tied together. Farzad, how are you worried? Didn't you see it's good news? Oh, yeah, no, I know. I saw the I the saw the title. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. Look at this title. Ford's big earnings warning is really good news. Just ask Wall Street. What the fuck kind of title is that? You know That's what I'm saying? Because competition is coming. Yeah, it's crazy. Sorry, I, I wasn't sure who was on mute it there, but as, I'll shut up. As SMR says all over itself. <laughs> ahead, so just to like go on your point as far as that it's like if you're tesla and you're spearheading the 4680 and you're sharing that that technology with these other battery manufacturers who are spinning up plants building the same thing like who are those batteries going to end up going to is it going to be Tesla or is it going to be Ford, GM, VW? It's, I mean, like Tesla gave you this, all this information that spearheads this and like, who are they going to give all those batteries to? But yeah, they're, they're going to be beholden to Tesla and to the people beyond that, who is making vehicles at a quantity that can consume them that, and also at a scale and a predictability that no one else has, right? right? Exactly. So I think that's like, once you're at this scale, it's gonna be hard to take you down. Yeah. Because you, the most critical and expensive piece is gonna be owned by the person who can do it the best and yeah. has the demand to fulfill. So yeah. suppliers are not going to build demand into a thing that's going to be expensive to build unless they know that the that the buyers are going to be there. Like they're not incentivized to build capacity on, unless there's a buyer. Literally, I mean, it seemed like Tesla had to carry, you know, I think Jordan alluded to this earlier. I forget who it was, but like Tesla literally had to pull Panasonic kicking and screaming into this whole battery process and <laughs> for them to get to where they are today. And now Panasonic is like, oh, shit, OK, look at this gold mine, which we're just sitting on right now, you know? It's it's mind blowing. Um, and I wasn't sure if anybody had any other thoughts around this topic. There was a there was a comment that was dropped a while ago around forty six eighty. I want to bring back, but did did y'all have any anything else you want to to add on to this? No, okay. Um, so Gary from and I said I was going to come back to these. See, Gary, thank you so much. Five dollars super chat. Appreciate your brother. It's another beer for Jordan. Hey Brian, uh, my Tesla weekend and Jordan, my Tesla weekends in the comments. How you doing, my friend? Uh, when might we loyal West Coaster see LFP packs after 4680 tweaks are done, after German 4680 lines are moved to the USA? We're within the topic of 4680. So Jordan, do you have any thoughts around this uh, comment? Well, I'd have to double check this, but I thought the Tesla, like 50% of their vehicles, like the standard range lineup already uses LFP, including the ones in the US. Mm -hmm. Is, can somebody verify that? But that's, uh, at least that's what they put in uh, an earnings report okay. uh, earlier this year. because. At least the timeline for me was uh, almost exactly a year ago, Tesla said they started releasing some LFP vehicles in the U.S. I think they were just doing a test run. Then they went back to mostly nickel. But then, you know, there's an earnings report that said, hey, these are all using LFP battery packs. And then beyond that, I thought a lot of people in Canada were encountering issues in really cold weather with those LFP battery packs. Um, but then Tesla did some software updates to fix it. So I'm pretty sure that the standard range vehicles... Use LFP. Yep, I can confirm. Yeah. Yep. Cool. 
I know, I know someone who just received a, uh, uh, a, a, a standard range with the LFP pack. Yeah. So the, I, I believe it's only the standard range model three. And I don't know if there's, there was, there were rumors that, that there were going to be other models moving to that, but I mean, it would be the model Y, right. But I think it, it's been two years since that rumor was, and like the demand has just skyrocketed too high. Oh, that's I just right. don't see that. Right. This was specifically referring to the Model Y, wasn't it? That is, is there even a standard range Model Y available no. in the U.S.? No. Okay. No. Yeah. So the, I guess it was there was for a no, short no. amount of time. You see them every once in a round while around here, <laughs> but they're super rare. Yeah. Because I, I guess these. Also, all LFPs uh, are imported into the U.S. from China, right? Uh, we haven't really seen any initiative towards LFP production in the U.S. by Tesla. At least or, the battery packs are imported. Yeah. But I think the cars are still manufactured here. Yeah, and I'm talking about just the battery packs. Yeah, okay. Or even cells. I mean, I don't know. The packs are I think, quite similar to the uh, normal 2170 packs that, uh, you know, from the bulk, but um, at the very least, the cells are not manufactured in the US as of today. Uh, and we haven't heard of any, I mean, the patent expired last year, right? So earlier potentially this earlier this year. So maybe now we might actually hear some, but that this is an interesting, you know, well, to, thing to talk um, about. Yeah. I've, I failed to notice this was specific, or it appears to be specifically about the Model Y, which that changes the dynamic for me because I was thinking, you know, Model 3, et cetera, and I forgot the Model Y. Uh, they're mostly doing like long range and performance. And I think they're going to continue to do that because they have so much damn demand for these Model Ys that I don't think they're going to be doing a whole lot of standard range Model Ys for a while because, well, A, they have all the nickel battery cells they need based on what they've said. So uh, they may as well produce the higher margin vehicles. And that's been Tesla's modus operandi for years now is sell the most expensive vehicles that they can and then work down as they get more supply. So yeah, maybe a while before we see an LFP Model Y in the US, but we'll see. What's What's been interesting to track here lately around, around that sort of um, development of supply ramping up um, have you been tracking the Chinese market at all for Teslas? It seems like their their wait times have come down dramatically, I think to like one to four weeks now, which I'm curious to to get your take on what do you think that implies? Because to me, in my head, it seems like Martin's comments around the free up of batteries, it, this is not a, what I always try to do is like, I, I want to take these comments and put them within a global context, not a US context. So when Martin says, the battery supply chain has freed up. I don't think about Fremont and Austin. I think about the entire supply chain. And the the news around um, the Chinese price drops and, you know, I, I see Tesla Q and Bears kind of spinning this into Tesla has no demand, Tesla has no demand. The signal I'm getting is like Tesla has a gigantic amount of supply that's going to be able to flood the market with, which is going to allow it to steal a lot of market share in the coming months and years because they have the supply chain built out to essentially do that. Um, 
yeah, I'm, I'm just going to propose a question out there. Like, what, how do you guys think about that? You know, with especially within the context of talking about 4680 and sort of the battery supply chain and, and China, all that good stuff. What does, does that do anything for you guys? Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I just want to step back a second. And the Model Y in China, they, they have a basic rear wheel, rear, rear wheel drive version. And I believe this is an LFP. And so you're exactly right. It doesn't matter if it dries up in one place, there's one region isn't the whole world, right? So Tesla can continually shift production or supply to different parts of the world. So if if Tesla gets to the point where Berlin's producing enough for enough Model Ys for all of Europe, you know, those Model Ys are gonna go to Australia or Indonesia or somewhere else, right? Um, South America, like there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of countries, <laughs> so uh, and they sell in plenty of countries. And I, 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 it's kind of hard to imagine that even one factory of Model Y is going to be enough for Europe. I find that hard to believe, but um, we'll, we'll see in the numbers. Yeah. Also, I think uh, uh, the last quarter BYD essentially came pretty close. To Tesla's number, I think might have even exceeded it, uh, just sales in China. So what Tesla might want to do is just, you know, stay around that number uh, competitively just within China. So they might be allocating more to China now uh, compared to Europe and other markets. It's, again, just conjecture, but uh, one of the potential reasons for the wait times reduced could be that. Yeah. Um, I think what I think what's interesting about that development is like we'll find out very quickly in the next couple quarters here just how serious these Chinese auto manufacturers are, because if they really are at the point where their supply is going to uh, reach a certain level of, um, you know, if they're going to match or get close to Tesla. Like China is not going to be their market anymore. It's going to be the entire global industry because there's so many other companies that are lagging behind. And so like Sandy and others have talked about this Chinese takeover, Chinese takeover. We might be seeing it now. It might be the beginnings of that, which which I think has a lot of uh, interesting implications. Um, go ahead, Ishan. Sorry. Yeah. Or no, uh, just to that point, right? Uh, so very recently, uh, BYD brought the actually. Sorry, I, think... I saw Jordan come off mute. I want to make sure I give him the mic real quick. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Go ahead, Jordan. Sorry. Sure. Uh, now I don't know if the answer's in the room on this one, but one thing I'm thinking of is like the U.S. and Europe. There's, you know, there's a lot of wealth here, so we can afford these Model Ys, uh, you know, regardless of what trim level that is. Whereas, is how long is it going to be before Tesla saturates the market in China for these more expensive vehicles? And uh, how, and I think that's going to drive how quickly we see Tesla move to a cheaper vehicle in China, move to like, you know, like a thirty thousand dollar vehicle. Now, bear in mind, I understand that even if Tesla you know, I don't think they have saturated the market in China yet. And if they do, they can shift those vehicles around to different parts of the world. But uh, I'm, you know, how much greater is the market in terms of total vehicles in the U.S. and Europe for these expensive vehicles? Because I mean, these are expensive vehicles for us. And we're we're in a country that has a much larger, more robust, uh, or larger per person, um, more earnings per person. Whereas China, it's you know, it's a different dynamic. I think uh, on that, I can actually give a little bit of an answer. So China 
and India, in fact, both of these markets, uh, what's happening is China has around like the top 5% of the population is where we see that uh, there's like one $50,000 car, like more than $50,000 car uh, for at least uh, two people, so two person family. And in India, we see that with the top 3%. And if you just uh, extend it out to, you know, about a billion people each, right? We see that the size of the market for, I'd say these expensive luxury vehicles is pretty large, right? So a uh, billion, 5% is what about 5 million vehicles in India, 3 million vehicles, potentially um, two to 3 million vehicles overall. That's what I'm saying. Right? And if you, let's say, say that they're going to buy a new car every three or five years, that sort of tells us that there is still a pretty large market uh, that's available, at least a million units a year in uh, China, at least maybe, um, you know, a little bit less in India, but uh, Tesla's far from actually capturing like a large part of what the available market is. It's just matter. I think what's interesting about that comment too is like five percent of China's population is equivalent to twenty percent of the U.S. because they have four times the population as well. That's a lot of fucking people. Excuse my my French. That's still sixty million people. That's a lot of people, bro. You know. So you think about like the implications of that. Um, sorry, I, I just wanted to throw that out there too because that's like five percent in my head. I'm like, wow, like that's the market of people that could afford a Tesla today in China seems small, but it's it's equivalent to 20% of the US. And if 20%, like how many people in the US right now buy cars? You know, like uh, it's probably not, what, like 50%, I, I'm gonna look it up, but it's still a lot. There's still a lot of room to grow there. Sorry, I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, no, and Farza, just to add, uh, the thing about the US is that uh, the density of vehicles to humans is almost one to one. Yeah. But in markets like China and India, it's actually a lot less. India is probably, you know, uh, 15 or uh, 18 is to one uh, at best. China is a little better, but still nowhere close to the US. Got it. Cars and guns, baby. Cars and guns. <laughs> uh, anybody else have any thoughts around this uh, this topic here? Well, I think the other thing that you can start to think of is like, what's the next step? And then how RoboTaxi plays into that, right? So like if... People don't have to own cars anymore, you know, and then these things become robo taxis, you know, like how much, you know, I just got, I mean, I have a pretty low safety score and I just got surprised with FSD beta this morning. So Ooh, I was, I'm a sub 90 person because I live in, a, in LA and I make excuses and I drive Stand aggressively. Californians. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like they, 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 yeah, I got to drive it this morning. So like, I'm starting to see, like, I mean, even before my own, like, but like they did roll it out and it's expanding and like, it does make me a lot more bullish on getting to RoboTaxi. And if, if they just fulfilled their statement that this thing is going to roll out by the end of the year and it's still four months before the end of the year. Right. So yeah. three and a half months. So I saw the second Rodman. Sorry, I saw Jordan I think you're saying really the same thing. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm curious to see what you were thinking. I'm getting excited. Yeah, because yeah. one thing that uh, part of the reason why Tesla built a factory in Berlin and Shanghai was to, like, my understanding is they both have design centers, don't they? 
Well, that hasn't borne any fruit yet. So it may be that over the next few years, we see multiple new vehicle models, depending on what the market is. So uh, food for thought. What do you think about, I forget, I think, I'm trying to remember who had this theory, if it was uh, Nicholas or Yashu or one of the panelists, I forget, but somebody said that they think that the Chinese cheaper vehicle that either could it be robo taxi or not is going to be unveiled at ai day two because uh there were like different things that they you know like the love like ai stands for love and uh in chinese i think uh, i forget what well i think pretty sure that's the language and then you know they, they were they were showing like the love sign on the ai day two thing so like the theory is that now that that design center that was implemented in china a couple years ago now i think it's been a minute um you think about the last time that Tesla has had a vehicle or product that you can reserve. The last time was November 2019 with the Cybertruck. It's almost been three years since you've been able to reserve a Tesla product. Of course, we had COVID in the middle, but like there was a cadence of, you know, basically every year there was a new product coming out there that you could reserve. You know, Tesla, solar roof, power wall, uh, semi, uh, roadster, Cybertruck, Model Y, right? All these things. But now, now it's been like a three year sort of uh, thing. It could be coming a lot sooner than we, we think. That that comment with Martin about, it just when I heard that comment, it surprised me so much because it wasn't that long ago that they said that, hey, like we think, we think we're going to be hitting bottlenecks here into the coming uh, quarters. You know, we think beginning of 2023, I think they said in the quarterly call, they said that we're going to have issues. You no, know, we think we might have some issues with supply of batteries. And now Martin's like, nah, we're fine. Well, we're good. Okay, so what does that imply? That doesn't just mean current products. That means that whatever they're planning, they have what they need to make it happen. You know, um, I'm excited. I think it's going to be some crazy shit happening in the next four quarters, dude. And I and I can't shake it. And I'm trying not to be hyper bullish. You know, I'm not trying to be like a. Actually, I'm not. I'm going to poke fun at him, but I'm not going to. He's a really cool guy. <laughs> I know him personally. Uh, but anyway, I wasn't sure if you guys had any other thoughts about this. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been feeling to me recently like 2017. I remember watching Galley in all his hyperchange videos and just pounding the drum on, hey, like we're about to start showing gap profitability and like the script is going to flip and things are going to change and like the whole narrative is going to radically transform. And it recent, like probably the last three to six months, it's been feeling like that again as far as just the amount of momentum that tesla has that we can all see is about to start bearing fruit and the market is still just clueless and so yeah i, I agree uh one thing uh we should not discount how intelligent elon is uh pre-2019 when we had a slew of you know product unveils and launches etc uh, despite Tesla being in the middle of, you know, the horrendous production ramp of Model 3, uh, remember that Tesla at, in, at that point in time needed to raise money, right? And it needed to raise money at, uh, you know, good market rates. So uh, effectively giving, uh, you know, investors a roadmap was very, very important. Post-19 uh, or 20, you know, post-COVID when uh, Tesla shot up, if you remember the first uh, ride up from about 
300 levels to 900, then the COVID drop, and then just, you know, blowing past 12, 15, 1600, et cetera. If you remember that period after that, um, Tesla was super confident that it would not have any problems whatsoever raising money. In fact, it did raise money, you know, uh, the first 5 billion tranche, and then another one after that. And at that point, they're so flush with money that they don't really need to, you know, think about where the next, uh, uh, you know, factory is going to come from, where, who's going to pay for that. They can just put their head, head down and get to work. I mean, of course, they were at work, but, you know, um, the new product launches, how I would probably say, was still a distraction, you know, especially for Elon and the leadership team, et cetera. So I don't know, Farzad, maybe you can add to that uh, about, you know, how the sentiment was uh, around those those times. But what I would say is that the reason we haven't had any new product launch is not COVID. Uh, Tesla was, you know, working, uh, you know, everybody was working, in fact, at Tesla, but um, the need for a new launch was no longer there. Mm. At, or at least uh, to market the new launches, but what you're saying, yeah, 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 to like publicly, that's a very, very interesting point, and it's it's the the thought that comes to mind for me when you say that is like, okay, uh, I think of something. I think it was you, Rodman, that you said this not too long ago that um, Elon has been very different than any other business owner because he's been very he's been allowing the retail investor to peek into the company and see what's happening versus every other company what ends up happening is you have Goldman Sachs and all these other you know funds they have meetings with Martin and the leadership team and they're like oh this is what we're planning and then they come out and say this is why we think the stock's going to go up or down right but it's not a it's not a public facing thing whereas Elon and the leadership team have been extremely public facing with how they're thinking about the company because of exactly that because they have a lot of retail investors but i haven't thought about the thought I haven't thought about the need for Tesla to have to be forced to be forward, uh, like open it up to the public because of their requirements around potentially needing to raise cash. Because you're very, very right. Like back in 2018, even beginning parts of 2019, you could argue that was still in that sort of bubble of like, hey, like our our success is not guaranteed. It's likely that we'll get there because we're, we're a bunch of badasses, but we might not have the money, so we're going to have to raise it. And of course, like them raising money wouldn't have been an issue. They wouldn't have been able to raise money. But uh, yeah, I don't know, man. That's 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 really interesting. So is the assumption there that Tesla is intentionally holding stuff close to the vest and they're going to show it much closer to release than previous? Is that how you're thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, they did it with Model Y. You know, that's unveiling true. to first deliveries less than a year. I mean, that's true. What do you guys think about that? Jordan, I saw you went off mute earlier, but I wasn't sure if uh, it was around this topic. But I don't know if you have any thoughts around this. Oh, the discussion's moved on. <clears throat> but it's, okay. uh, yeah, I totally. Uh, the, the the Cybertruck was that uh, that came out after the uh, Model Y though, didn't it? Oh yeah, way that was November twenty nineteen. Yeah, yeah. So even though the Model Y had a short lead time, I think that I've, at least the discussion at the time on the Model Y was that all right. Well, they have so much demand for the Model Three, and there's I, I think there's some reason why people thought that they weren't hyping up the oh maybe it was the Osborne effect or something like that. But yeah, I think there's a few things that people right. were thinking at the time with the Model Y that are they, they did a um, they had a short lead time for the launch because they didn't want to highlight the Model Y too much. But to me, um, well, nobody has you know 
who knows what's going on in uh, the upper levels of Tesla. But to me, it feels like there's been a pig in the Python. They released all these uh, products mm -hmm. and we like the Cybertruck was supposed to launch this year. Uh, the semi that was unveiled yeah, several years ago. So there's all these products they had to work through. Regardless, um, I do think, which is the theme of this discussion right now, is that over the next few years, that that pig is going to make its way through the Python. And then there's going to be all these things that happen at once because uh, these things are just on the cusp of release. And on the top, on top of that, Tesla has more potential and more resources at the, their disposal than they ever have. They have design factories in multiple countries. So uh, yeah, I do think that we're going to see a flourish of new products, maybe not this year, but within the next few years to be sure. And on top of that, another thing I'm excited about is the fact that Tesla has been teasing that beyond the, the giga castings, beyond the structural pack, that they're moving on to like their next generation of manufacturing technologies, which could yeah. be like new wiring systems or removing wiring and using, doing like uh, communications over wire. I forget the, what the word is for it or using Bluetooth some or possibly changing the voltage in the low voltage system, possibly moving to like electric electric brakes where you can get rid of uh, like your master cylinder and all the brake lines that run throughout the vehicle. There's all sorts of things that Tesla could still do to simplify manufacturing. So I think that's what probably what they're going to do in the mid, you know, maybe 2024, 2025. And how many of these are going to be in Cybertruck? You know, like, yeah, that's well, so exciting. Well, we'll I'm not going to get too excited because the you know they're you know, uh, yeah, we thought we'll several see. of those things were potentially going to be in the Model Y, and I remember that was one of the mm -hmm. kind of disappointments when Monroe tore down the original one. He's like, oh dang, like the wiring is not what we were hoping for, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. You, you need to scale with what you know works. Um, and especially on a product that you're expecting to be the best selling product in the world, both in volume and dollars. So, yeah, Jordan, people really like your, uh, your, uh, a pig and a Python analogy in the comments. <laughs> I can't say that I've heard that one before. So I, I, I really appreciate you bringing some, uh, knowledge here. Um, real quick for the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes of the stream uh jordan you cool for some rapid fire uh q a from the comments if they want to uh, sort of uh ask a quick question uh if you want to tackle it or we can tackle it as a panel how's that sound <laughs> we'll fry your brain even more well i can't say that I, i'm good at giving rapid fire responses but <laughs> you can ask rapid jordan's fire rapid questions. fire how about that yeah <laughs> You're rapid fire. Okay, so if you have a question for Jordan or the panel, go ahead and drop it in the comment section with question in front, so it's easy for me to parse through. Please try to make it so that it's, uh, um, well, actually, whatever. Just post a com question if we go to one and that's the rest of the stream, then it is what it is. So go ahead, drop the comment section, uh, question in the comment section below. Jordan, so you talked about like, um, as the questions come in, what is the most exciting thing about Tesla that's happening right now like where you woke up today and that's what you started thinking about. What's the thing that's really taking up your mind uh, space the most right now? Thermal management. <laughs> okay, why? <laughs> I've just been doing a video on thermal management. Whenever I research okay. the topic, it makes me realize, oh my God, thermal management has reaches its tendrils all the way through the supply chain into the quality of the raw materials. And it's, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing this video here in the next couple of weeks because it, it, uh, the thermal management thing ties everything oh. together. It's like um, 
yeah, to make a battery cell, they have to be extraordinarily consistent. To thermally manage that battery cell, you have to have a good a good software system, a good cooling system. Uh, there's just so many different things that have to come together at once. So I always like it when I get a chance to tie everything together. And it's surprisingly, thermal management was an opportunity to do that. But beyond that, to me, uh, what I'm looking forward to when I pan back is the master plan part three. And then what exactly Elon's going to share with that. Hmm. And it's actually on your channel that I think um, the first time, at least I'm aware of it being mentioned publicly, is you asked me about master plan part three. And I said, well, I think it's going to be about scaling, but that can't possibly be it because all the master plans in the past have been about products. And this is about manufacturing. So and you I was it. really surprised when Elon said it actually will be about scaling. So. Bro, you're writing bills in the government. You're predicting master plans, bro. Like, psh, come on now. Hans, go ahead. Jordan Kitsugi for president. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> Are you a natural born citizen, Jordan? I did have a question on the thermal management. On Friday, I just kind of asked the question, is it possible that we'll see a plaid Cybertruck with 1865 cells instead of 4680 cells specifically for thermal management reasons. What's your take on that? Well, the first thing I would look at is uh, I think the 1860s, 650s that Tesla has are all going going to be going to like their Model S and X because they only have like a 10 gigawatt hour factory in Japan. And that's the perfect amount of cells for about 100,000 vehicles out of Tesla's factory. So I don't think it would happen from that perspective. Um, in terms of the 18650 would have better thermal management than like a 2170. However, it's not just about the average cell temperature, and this is what I've been learning in the past couple of weeks, is that it's also the, the variation in temperature throughout the battery cell. And when you have a single tab in that battery cell, that's a point of failure, and it's a point of resistance and heat generation. So it's better to use a tabless design, even if the average cell temperature is the same, because the gradient in temperature within the battery cell is much more even with a 4680 battery cell. Okay. Helpful to know. Thank you, Jordan. Um, all right, let's do some Q&A. But before we do that, who's this cute little bastard here? Who's this cute little bastard? Who is that? Tell us a story. Tell us the story, Jordan. What's going on here? Oh, that's, yeah. I would have been pretty much exactly two years old there. I just, I was going through my pictures and I saw that the other day because Elon's been posting pictures of himself at different <laughs> ages and it inspired me. Uh, so I thought I'd put that out there. What a and, cute uh, baby. Yeah. That's a cool hat too. <laughs> my my brother, uh, who, who you've met, uh, mm -hmm. I had like the the tools things and he had the, uh, uh, he had a like a stethoscope. It's like basically the same toy set. So that's um, awesome he didn't become Hella a doctor, cute. <laughs> okay listen even just i'm gonna go ahead and like and retweet there you go you're very welcome um here we go uh let's do some q a yeah go ahead Ishan. Farzad, before we get into q a sure. uh do we ever plug the like button in our streams oh like go ahead and like the stream come on guys yeah go ahead and like Farzad the stream. does Man. a fantastic job you know all the 610 people watching right now, go in like that like button. I see I see DRK in the comments always hyping it up. So I appreciate DRK yeah. is always out there with a like. No, absolutely uh, yeah, not. if you guys if you guys He's an MVP. appreciate that, Ishan. 
Yeah. But really, it's you guys. The reason why this conversation is good is not because of me, it's because of y'all. So psh, you gave me too much credit. It's really, Jordan. I mean, Jordan over here, we've got rock, rock star, freaking government law writing guy over here who's got a cute hat when he was, you know, four years old or however old you were in this picture. So, you know, and of course, you three. So thank you. But if you enjoyed, like it. If not, just whatever. Have fun. Um, Question about uh, recycling. So actually, I saw this gentleman was actually asking about this quite a bit in the comments. So I appreciate your patience. When recycling will be, when do you think recycling will be significant in the supply chain? When will it be worth to create a battery that has recycling build design into it? What do you think about that question? Depends on what your definition of significant is. So uh, right now, a lot of the raw material that's available recycling is actually scrapped from the factories and Tesla's already doing that, shipping it down to Redwood Materials. And so they're already using recycled materials in their battery cells. Now, in terms of as a proportion of battery cell production, it's, in my view, it's going to remain relatively flat over the next uh, decade because we're always recycling battery cells from a few years back. So it's going to be relatively same proportionally, but in terms of the total amount of gigawatt hours recycled, it's going to be you know like 100 gigawatt hours in 2025 and like 500 gigawatt hours in 2030. And then deeper into the 2030s, that's when it's going to actually really start affecting the, the price of batteries. Because most of the nickel in the late 2030s that we're going to be using in battery cells is going to be from recycled sources and it's going to be cheaper. So, and I do think that we're going to continue to use nickel, graphite, etc., for uh, 10, 15, uh, 20 years deep into the future. And this is part of the reason. And there's another interesting point. People assume that LFP is the cheapest and it's always going to be the cheapest. But the thing is, as soon as you get battery cells, um, nickel-based chemistries have greater potential for energy density. And at a certain point, there's a point where the price of LFP battery cells and nickel-based battery cells are almost the same price deep in the future. So uh, you're going to have nickel-based battery cells that are roughly the same price as iron-based battery cells. But the reason why we're shifting to LFP is because we can scale that more quickly. So, yeah, uh, we're going to continue to moral of the story. We're going to keep using nickel-based cells for a long time in the future, and they will get surprisingly cheap. So I think the second part of the question was more interesting, which is, uh, you know, uh, design for recycling. One of the things that came out of uh, Mantro, Monroe's videos was, you know, that uh, pink gunk uh, that essentially held the structural uh, pack together. It rendered, um, like the entire pack is one unit and you could just not take it out, right? So a cell goes bad or 10% of the cell, cells go bad. The entire pack is uh, shipped to network. Um, whereas again, SAIC, uh, through that, you know, so one of my friends has uh, an NG ZS EV. And what they do is like, if any of the cells go bad, they just take it out, put a new one in, and they're going to do it for eight years. And uh, perhaps from like, you know, a use of cells perspective, I don't know if, uh, you know, at scale it still holds true or not, but perhaps that's a better way to um, manage cells. So, you know, Inherently, Tesla structural pack is designed to not, so you know, if it goes below threshold, the whole pack goes into recycle. Is that like what do you think of that design? I think Tesla already designs, tries to design as much as possible recycling 
the future potential recycling into their their products. And I'm the reason I have this view is because some of their former employees have started companies in recycling and they talk about mm -hmm. this very thing. It's uh, the disassembly. And well, from Tesla's perspective, like, well, the best way to do it is just to throw that battery into a grinder, mechanically, chemically, and thermally uh, separate everything. So it doesn't really matter how you build the battery pack itself if you have something that kind of, uh, it's like the Mr. Fusion from <laughs> Back to the Future where you can throw anything into it and it spits out energy, except this is spit, you know, throwing in any material and it spits out the raw materials you want. The Giga Grinder. Nice. Patent pending. <laughs> uh, let's do a couple more here. How do you, how heavy do you think the Cybertruck will be more or less than 3.5 tons? Have you, have you thought about that question at all uh, within the context of batteries, Jordan? I'm not sure if it's because uh, yeah. we're still a little bit away, but. Uh, I, did a, I did a video on it. So I think what this may be referring to is, uh, what is it, like a medium-duty or heavy-duty truck? That's correct. Uh, yeah. So uh, Tesla has, um, oh, I, I went into depth on it in a video, so it's probably best to reference that video uh, where I go into uh, the details of the Cybertruck and how much I'll, I'll weigh and what the implications are of Tesla registering it as like a Class 2B vehicle or something like that. And the conclusion I came to is, um, we're, we're safe in terms of like a, a driver's license perspective that you won't need a, sp a special license for it. And that it's probably going to be about, depending on which trim you're looking at, comparable to the weight of an F-150, just as Tesla said, but I think it's going to be comparable to the weight of like a larger F-150 with like a crew cab, et cetera, because, you know, Tesla's will be, um, uh, like a crew cab basically. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, let's do one more here, and then we'll give you uh, some time to plug your stuff here, Jordan. Um, how close are we to a structural density that would support Elon's electric uh, VTOL, so uh, vehicle takeoff or landing? Uh, any thoughts around that? It depends on what your expectations of the VTOL are. If you're looking for something local or regional, then I think we're like Tesla has the ability to do something like Ooh. that right now. It's when you get into the long range, it's 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 different. But my viewpoint was that Tesla should start developing a VTOL in the mid-2020s, and uh, it's going to take a long time to get it through all the regulatory hurdles. And then we might see like a, you know, a release you know, in the early 2030s and maybe really hit scale in the mid-2030s uh, because there's a whole lot of regulatory hoops. And that's the point where Tesla... Uh, will have potentially have spare battery cells and battery cells of the right energy density to make it really make it worthwhile. We're going down a rabbit hole now, but I, I don't think they'll <laughs> stop. If they, if they do a VTOL, it's not going to make sense to stop at the VTOL. I think they're going to redo the entire airline industry to where you have point to point connections rather than hub and spoke. And it's yeah. going to completely change like, all right, do we need all this security and all this other bullshit if we're just using these things like buses from point to point and they only carry like 10 people or something like that? Can we sidestep all those regulations and bring us back to a flying experience that's like, you know, a much less painful? Because Flying is a fucking bitch. It is, dude. I've, I've been dying to ask this question to Chuck Cook because he's a he's a pilot and he's a I think a director for JetBlue. I I, I believe he's he's like a pretty high high ranking person in one of the airlines, and like I've been trying to get his thoughts around this, like because the airline industry seems so ripe for disruption, like so ripe for disruption that this could very well happen here in the next five to ten years. We're going to start seeing a shift 
uh, from from an airline perspective. Uh, Ishan, I know you had so, uh, a few thoughts think, as well, but I think SpaceX is taking going to take care of intercontinental travel and subcontinental. Uh, I, I I think that this hub and spoke model will sort of work um, with you know SpaceX doing the long hop. This being potentially an EV tall, but I actually had a follow-up question. Do you think solid state is on a cost decline curve fast enough to actually support, like, probably medium-range EV tall applications? Let's say five years down the line. I don't see solid state being having significant advantages over uh, regular lithium ion for a long time, at least in the foreseeable future. We have solid state batteries right now, mm -hmm. but they perform exactly the same as lithium ion batteries. They're not delivering what they said they're going to deliver because as soon as you start, you know, actually manufacturing something, you realize, oh, we actually need to build in some safety buffer here or there or uh, manufacturing tolerances, et cetera. And uh, and sorry about my outburst earlier on airlines, but it's a passion. <laughs> no, I, love it. I love like, it. I love it. Yeah, love it. It's because I had to. I used to fly back and forth between New Zealand and the U.S. every year, and there's certain points where it's just, especially during COVID, it was so stressful. Uh, I actually got to the point where I chartered a private plane from Chicago uh, to uh, near my hometown, uh, just so I could make sure that I got back home in a reasonable time. It costs like I don't know, like you know. 900 bucks something like that so crazy. yeah yeah crazy so much so much low-hanging fruit there that with a new yeah. technology like it's mm -hmm. it'll completely just you know rewire mm -hmm. how we've thought about this whole thing so yeah uh damn man i, I wish we could go longer I actually have, I have to go to yash's channel here because i he's got me at uh, uh three o'clock eastern but uh uh jordan you're always welcome back my friend at any point anytime you're always back welcome to come uh, discuss anything you'd like with with myself or the panel or the community or whatever ishan hans rodman thank you very much for being part of the channel everybody in the comments section thank you all very much for being part of the discussion we have to continue this evital discussion here because this is like it's mind-blowing and i think it's it's next probably level. very close next level so uh jordan and we'll chuck you. cook yeah, I would love to have you and Chuck Cook in the same panel and discuss that because I would I would love to hear uh, your thoughts around that. But um, any last words, Jordan, for the for the community before we hop off here? Well, thanks for having me on. And you can always find me on Twitter at Limiting the and my YouTube channel, uh, The Limiting Factor. But uh, probably everybody watching already knows that. So I, I just enjoy these conversations with the community. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, we'll do it again. And even though Jordan won't say it, go support him on Patreon. Go support him on Patreon. Please, the For limiting sure. factor. Go on look behalf up. of the whole community. Yeah, thank yeah. you, Jordan. Thanks, yeah. guys. Thank you very much, man. The work you've done is great. And uh, now that you have connections with the government, you can make everything happen. See that it's oh, perfect. Yeah. Look at you. You're like a politician almost. I'm just kidding. Thank you all very much. We'll see you around. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, panelists. We'll see you around. I'll be on Yashu here in a couple minutes. Thank you all. And broadcast. Here we go. <laughs>